It's the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. Round 11, and it's the Eiffel Grand Prix this weekend. We're going to be taking a little bit of a look at that. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because the weather conditions are not looking particularly warm, and that's going to present all sorts of challenges, particularly in the tyre department. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Be joined once again by Jimbo, James Underhay to chat uh, about what's been happening in F1, all the latest news and having a bit of a, a general chinwag there. And a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to talk to a Lewis fan, a diehard Lewis fan about how do you beat Lewis Hamilton? The only man who's been able to do it recently is Nico Rosberg. And of course, once he'd done it, he resigned and, and, and retired, sorry, and, and off he went. Um, And so I wanted to get someone's take on that. We're going to talk to Wayne about that and get his thoughts on uh, that and a few other things as well. All coming up in this week's Pitbox podcast. Yeah, so this week is round 11 from the Nürburgring in Germany, um, titled the Eiffel Grand Prix as for the uninitiated. This is the region that the track is located. And of course, it's just the second time that it's been held in October. It was used to be a June race from memory. Uh, so 1984-1985 were the last times it was held in October. And of course, the weather isn't expected to be balmy, depending on where you're getting your forecast from. Um, it could be as cold as uh, nine degrees, not just on Sunday race day, which is what they initially forecast, but also now for Saturday qualifying. Brr. Uh, woolly hat weather for sure. Uh, last winner here was Sebastian Vettel in the Red Bull. That was in uh, 2013, of course. Uh, a Lotus 2-3 that day, in fact, for Raikkonen and Grosjean. How things have changed. Uh, Hamilton was sixth in the Merck. And, of course, he could this week equal the great Michael Schumacher's record of race wins at a circuit that, of course, in his day, uh, in his heyday, really, um, there was two races uh, held in Germany, one at Hockenheim, which was the German Grand Prix, and then the, Euro- the uh, European Grand Prix, rather, which was at the Nürburgring. <clears throat> and, and it was one of my earlier, earliest memories of Nürburgring. I was uh, reminded of this uh, yesterday when I was, I was taking a look at the race preview, <clears throat> that um, it was my earliest me- memory of, of doing menu charades um, at one of the local restaurants. If you haven't been to Nürburgring, it's quite rural, it's up in the mountains, and there's not many major towns around, so you normally... Uh, having to find hotels at small little villages and hamlets um, uh, spread out uh, across the countryside, and it can take you up to 45 minutes to maybe an hour to get to the circuit, depending on how much you want to pay for your hotel. So, um, But I remember going to this small little town, I think it was Dorn, D-A-U-N, and they didn't speak much English, which is fair enough. We're in the middle of Germany. I didn't speak much German. That's my problem. And But we were doing what we call point and pray and menu charade. So trying, trying to work out, and there was no English menu, what... Uh, what we'd really like to eat. And of course, we just didn't understand any of it. There was four of us. So what we decided to do, and, and this sort of became our our um, our plan moving forward, was that we'd each order something different from the menu. And the next day or the next evening, we'd then have a decent idea of, uh, of what was good and what was bad. Or, you know, that would sort of like lead us on to you know, other dishes that were uh, sort of um, okay for us to eat or that we enjoyed or liked or happy to pay for. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of point and pray went on. And of course, by the end of that week, there wasn't much steak and fritters left in the town either. We eat them pretty much out of house and home. Anyway, that was, as I say, and I remember getting hay fever horribly there because again, it was in the middle of June. Anyway, uh, and of course, it's a, a circuit of predominance here at I, at the, the Nürburgring. It's a, a slow, medium speed corners here. Best to run with a lot of downforce. Track surface is pretty smooth. That's the reason why Pirelli are bringing their middle range of tyres. So not the softest, but not the hardest. C2, 3 and 4 compounds. Uh, 15 corners make it up. 9 right, 6 left. 60 lap race, of course. And uh, they're big hairpin at turn 7. 
which is fantastic and really difficult to get right. And the other thing is that even though there is data that the teams will have held on to, no doubt, since 2013, it won't have much relevance here to today's car. So it's going to be a really steep learning curve for all. And that progression of improved lap times from Saturday morning is to be expected as the the circuit rubbers in. I mean, it is a obviously a, a, a genuine race circuit, um, so it's a purpose-built track, in fact, um, is what I meant to say. So it won't take as long to rubber in, um, but there's still going to be that very steep learning curve. And with those temperatures being so low, it's going to be difficult for some teams to get uh, temperature into those tyres and keep them in that operating in temperature window. And in fact, any team that has an issue with um, overheating tyres may actually have a little bit of an advantage here because of the uh, the cooler conditions. It's going to be a real challenge for engineers and drivers because of the weather here. Um, just seven current drivers have driven here in an F1 car. Raikkonen, Hamilton, Ricardo. Uh, Vettel, Perez, Bottas, and Grosjean. I think a few others, including Lando Norris, may have driven in the junior formula around here, but not in an F1 car. And as we know, that is uh, there's a big difference there. So uh, what can we expect? Well, um, I don't expect to see anything hugely other than a, another Mercedes-dominated weekend. Look, there is a chance because of the weather conditions, because this, is a, this circuit may well suit Red Bull better than others because you need that high amount of downforce and good aero efficiency. So as long as um, they get that right and and the weather and the, the coolness of the track, I mean, even on Friday, I think it's getting up to 13 degrees. Uh, but it, that's really going to be critical for anybody if they're going to try and take on Mercedes. We'll uh, have to wait and see, of course. But um, it's going to be a great race. I mean, look, you know, Nürburgring, it's a, a fantastic venue. It's a fantastic layout. The drivers all love driving here. I'm sure they'd love to do the Nordschleife. That's not going to happen. But can you imagine? But one final thing I wanted to ask, and it's a question, and let me know on Twitter or on Instagram, who has the fastest F1 lap around the Nürburgring? Who's got the fastest F1 lap around the Nürburgring? Let me know on Twitter, either at Adori Media or at Pitbox Podcast, and the same for Instagram. Let me know, and I'll post it on there as well. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, see who knows their onions. Anyway, looking forward to another great weekend of racing. It's going to be interesting because it's going to be rather chilly racing around the Nürburgring in the Eiffel Mountains. Right, let's take a look at what's been happening in the last week since the last round in Russia, of course. Joined by, once again, James Underhay. Uh, James, the biggest news story, of course, was that Honda decided to, to leave F1. No one saw that one coming. Absolute bombshell, John. I mean, I, I really thought we were going to struggle for things to talk about this week. <laughs> um, you know, no Grand Prix. We were kind of be scratching around for news and uh, and then Honda dropped that uh, press release and uh, really caught the world with their pants down, I think it was just a bit of a shock, wasn't it? It really was. And of course, you know, when everybody, and so many people have seen the Netflix series Drive to Survive, and everybody straight away on Twitter, on Instagram, were bringing up the Cyril Abitabul and Christian Horner confrontation when Renault, you know, took Daniel Ricciardo away from from Red Bull and, you know, the comment of, well, we've got your driver and now you've got no engine, heh, heh, heh. Everybody brought that back up. And of course now, well, uh, one is going back cap in hand. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty juicy, isn't it? I mean, this is uh, uh, really good TV if they get this on camera the next stage of these negotiations. Not that I'm sure they will, but it's pretty clear the relationship between Renault and Red Bull at that point was fairly toxic, I think. Um, 
some pretty uh, gritty conversations being had behind the scenes. So um, <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch this one play out for sure. Gritty. I, that's, a, that's a great description. I'm going to use that. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, the thing is that what happens with Red Bull now, you know, what do they do? You can't see um, Mercedes either wanting to or having to because under the regulations they don't. They supply the most teams. Ferrari, again, uh, the team that are the second most um, – uh, supply the second most engines to the grid. And of course, you know, at the moment, would you really want a Ferrari engine anyway? It just steady, leaves. I know, oh, no, sorry, sorry. So I, I'm not trying to dig that knife in. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you know what I mean? Is that there, there's only Renault left unless they go it on their own somehow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the obvious choice is to kind of suck it up and just go with Renault. Uh, Renault have already said that they are going to be quite happy uh, if necessary to supply engines. Um, outside of that, what options do they have? Well, you, you know, you've taken Mercedes and Ferrari straight out of it, and rightly so. Um, <clears throat> there are, look, there's, there's murmurs, as always, lots of chatter across the uh, social media channels, obviously, at the moment, about what could potentially happen. Um, you know, do do Red Bull buy the intellectual property? Do they buy the, the, the work that Honda have already done in the build-up to 22? Because there will be some development at this stage even, uh, uh, going into that engine. Um, you know, do they take it on themselves with a partner? Um, I read a few bits this week. Again, just to specify, all very much internet chatter, but Mugen, for example, uh, with their know-how uh, and work in the past with Honda could potentially take a project like that on. And if so, um, would Red Bull take the risk and then kind of take their own destiny in their hands, if that makes sense. Um, it, it's an option. There are a couple of options out there, but I think the most sensible one, the most obvious one is clearly Renault at this stage. But of course, they've got enough money. It's not like uh, Dita Matrix is short of a, a quid or two. So, it, you know, they could, you know, essentially just become completely self-sufficient in every department. Um, so it's not out of the question. As long as they're able to have the facilities, they can buy those, if you like, off the shelf. And as you say, get the into the, the, the IP from, from Honda, if Honda are willing to sell that. And if they're true to their word, they're not going to be using that sort of stuff. That's the reason they're leaving F1. They're saying it's not relevant to their road cars anymore. So what have they got to lose? Yeah, absolutely. It's probably quite an attractive idea to be completely self-sufficient uh, as well. Um, you know, you get the impression that, that what they've built whilst obviously coming from foundations of former Formula One teams, the reality is they're very much their own unit. Mm. And uh, to take on something like that, that could be pretty, pretty exciting for them if they can make it work. But they're going to need to see, you know, really what that power unit potentially has uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the opportunity for them from 22 onwards. They're going to need to see some, some clear evidence that's going to do the business. But if they can get the right partner and it shows that it's got potential, then why not? Yep, no, absolutely. Um, we could go on all day about the uh, permutations of what could happen with Honda and Red Bull and what Red Bull will do, but let's let's move on. Um, now, obviously, being a Ferrari fan, you were very happy to hear that uh, Mick Schumacher, Callum Eilert, Robert Schwartzman, um, they're all getting um, a taste of Formula One and, of course, testing as well. Um, in fact, more than that uh, this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Very exciting times. These guys are all very super talented guys in the F2 series. At the moment... Uh, I think you know Mick's clearly in the driving seat, and I don't know whether that's just because of you know the family name, but he's leading the championship. He's doing a pretty good job in F2 at the moment as well. But Callum and Robert, obviously, both very talented guys in their own right, and getting to drive last year's Ferrari at Fiorano uh, in the last week or so must have been mind-boggling for them uh, in terms of coming to to, to kind of uh, getting used to uh, what a real 
super super f1 car which obviously if you think about what that car was capable of last year despite the results obviously in the end result in terms of championship what a machine um mm. it must have been pretty thrilling for them no absolutely and uh you know ferrari at the moment have probably got the best young stable um mm. out there and that includes red bull yeah no i think you're right i think you're right and obviously that there's, there's i think there's challenges behind the scenes with the red bull situation because there's not necessarily as clear a path as they would like you to think to that seat whereas the the ferrari stable seems to be very well respected in terms of there's always opportunity on the table for them so uh moving forward i think you're you could be pretty confident in saying mick's going to get a drive next year uh most likely uh alongside kimia alpha which would be fantastic mm-hmm. uh and then of course you've got um you know potential for callum or robert uh, to, to get a seat as well whether that be uh, alongside Roman Grosjean or Kevin Magnussen uh, Haas, or both potentially, if they both end up moving away from the sport. So, yeah. Um, and the other thing, and, and just to go back to Honda again, of course, um, the driver that everybody was expecting to sort of be long term in Red Bull was uh, Sonoda, who's the uh, young Honda driver. That's mm. not necessarily a given now. So, Danny Kvyat may be breathing a little sigh of relief because his seat was probably most in jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, feel bad for Sonoda you know he's performed so well obviously within that Honda stable he's probably the biggest talent uh from Japan to to kind of have that opportunity for some time um and has certainly earned the opportunity I think um Kvyat in particular you know we've talked about him a lot recently you know my views um I think you're probably right unfortunately without that major Honda backing if they're going to move away from the sport entirely uh, I'm not sure that's uh, particularly good news for Sonoda, but let's see what happens. But he, he he may get next year though. That's the thing is that he he may you know, as a parting gift he may still get next year to prove what he's worth because it's not like Danny Kvyat unfortunately is setting the world on fire. No, absolutely. If he gets that one year, then he's got to make it count. It's as simple as that. Those opportunities are potentially few and far between for these drivers. They know that they've got to make something happen very quickly if they get a seat. Um, and he's, as I said, a very talented driver. So if he can do something next year, if he could come in and perform at a level whereby they, you know, other sides, other teams, excuse me, are looking at him going, you know what, actually, this kid has something, then that's his opportunity. But he's got to take it. Yep, indeed. And, and of course, the other thing that uh, just briefly that came out today was that um, Mercedes were reaffirming their commitment in the wake of the Honda exit as well. So that's it's good to know because, you know, if one needs to have... Um, a team like Mercedes and a supplier like Mercedes in the sport. Yeah, no, agree. Um, I think it's pretty much uh, standard protocol to come out and say, look, we're still here. We're not going anywhere. Um, uh, you know, if you take Mercedes or any other supplier out of the, uh, the, the situation, all of a sudden you've got what we're down to two, is it? I think we've got Ferrari, Mercedes and, and Renault as the only providers hmm. uh, of power units at this stage. So, um, yeah, no, pretty pretty expected comments from them, but uh, good to see all the same. And, of course, just one more thing. We keep on getting back to the Honda exit thing, um, that uh, Red Bull have said Max Verstappen doesn't have an exit clause in his uh, contract, which uh, is no great surprise. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, they're going to have to say that, I think, obviously, because they don't want to uh, upset the apple cart, so to speak. Um, but, Max, I'm... I'm pretty surprised you know in these sorts of uh, real huge announcements like that like we saw from honda last week um you would expect most fairly big time drivers and max is there now he's at that point where he's hot property any team would take him obviously any of the top teams would if there was a seat and the circumstances were right you would expect max to have something in his contract that would allow him to move 
if there was a really wholesale change at the team and engine supplier moving on, that is about as wholesale as it gets. So I'm surprised, but whether they're just kind of maybe calling the uh, the, the, the rest of the market's bluff, I don't know. Um, Horner's going to do everything he can to keep him there, obviously, because Max is their best shot at a world title, I think, in the next few years. So, but, but the thing is that he, he wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't want to leave it 2021. I think mean, what seat is he going to go to? Because I can't imagine that there's going to be a vacancy at um, Mercedes yet. Um, no. And you're not going to put Lewis in next to, uh, sorry, Max in next to, to Lewis. So where does he go? Um, Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, they're committed for two years. So there's your top three teams already. Yeah, no, absolutely. He'll, he'll be where he uh, currently is for next year. There's no doubt about that. But it's up to Red Bull now to persuade him that they have a plan, mm. whether that's with Renault, whether that's obviously going their own way that they have a plan that can help Max win the championship in 22 or 23, because ultimately he's been in the sport for long enough now and shown that he has the ability to do it, but not quite the machinery. Um, he's, you know, he's performed exceptionally. He split the Mercs obviously this season a number of times. So they've got to persuade him that they are still the team to be with long-term um, because I can't imagine, you know, regardless of driver circumstances for 22 and onwards, Things can change. And if Max was to make it clear that he was potentially on the market, then I don't think he'd be short of suitors. No, absolutely. I mean, he's just too good. He, uh, you know, you always hear people talk about potential world champions, but he really is potential, um, you know, and, and almost you could guarantee in a, in a good car that he's going to take that title. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. He has that potential. And uh, I think his determination, his. Uh, you know, the way he carries himself, there's an expectation within himself that he's got to do that as well and will do that. So uh, frightening amount of confidence, uh, incredible amount of ability. Um, I, you know, I don't think the odds would be too long for him uh, for winning a championship in the next five years or so. And the other thing to be is, that, you know, for him to be a team leader so young, because that's really what he is now. I mean, he is a team leader. You build a team and, you know, obviously Red Bull have been wanting to do that for the last few years, but it's amazing to think that someone so young has that mm. ability and, and, and already has um, the potential to have a team built around him and he's in his early 20s. So, yeah, I mean, it just reaffirms that at some point he's going to be uh, top of the stack in the driver's title, isn't he? Yeah, no, it's very true. And I think the one thing that Max has worked very hard on, look, he didn't have the best reputation. A lot of people weren't massive fans of him because there was kind of an air of arrogance around him. Mm. Uh, and the mistakes, the errors, the, the the contact that he would find himself in in races uh, a couple of years ago, that seems to have disappeared. He's made some changes, whether it be within himself or just the, the way he goes about himself on track, that he's not getting involved in as much of that now. His drives are becoming much more cultured, much more seasoned. And that's really where you need to be if you compare him to someone like Lewis. Lewis rarely makes a mistake. And OK, he has made a few in the last season or two, but we're not talking about... Mm you know, dropping the car unnecessarily, et cetera. Max has erased that from his, that con controversy around him when he, he was racing a couple of years ago. Uh, and if he wants to go all the way, he's certainly going about it the right way in terms of the way he's driving now. Yep, indeed. Okay, um, one last thing, of course, Eiffel Grand Prix this weekend. It's the old Nürburgring. Um, who, I mean, it's sort of pretty obvious that Merck are, are going to be um, pretty much on the, on the podium somewhere, but... Who else do you sort of see challenging uh, for the uh, final podium spot and, and sort of that midfield battle? Uh, I think it's going to be a real mixed bag this weekend. Um, you know, the weather uh, is is known to be pretty uh, aggressive down in that region. Obviously, you're going to get very changeable weather, lots of rain potentially, very cold. It's going to be tough getting the tyres working. 
um, you know, that could throw up a, an unexpected result. And I'm not necessarily talking about Mercedes not being on the podium, but I think it's going to bring other people into play, potentially for third, fourth, fifth, that kind of area of the pack. You're going to see drivers that wouldn't necessarily be up there, I think. But it, it's such a lottery uh, in these sorts of conditions. Um, Lewis, obviously, is gunning for his uh, record still. He's still the bookie's favourite for pole and the win, of course. Um, but uh, I, I think it's going to be an interesting situation. It's going to be quite exciting. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Yep, and it's uh, good to be back racing again round 11. It is, of course. Uh, James, thank you very much for your time. James is at uh, on Twitter uh, at Jimbo2728 if you want to give him a follow. Uh, always interesting stuff, particularly if you're a Ferrari and uh, Vettel fan, but uh, we'll catch up with you next week after the race uh, and uh, take a look at what's been happening in the next week, James. Have a good one. I uh, wanted to have a chat with someone who was a Lewis fan and overall a, a Formula One fan. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, and particularly on Twitter, and this is how uh, myself and, and Wayne connected, and you'll in, you'll uh, you will hear from him in a moment. Um, and we were talking about how to beat Lewis Hamilton, and this all sort of came about because the question was, who's the the greatest driver? Obviously, Lewis Hamilton with seven world championships pretty much in the bag for this year, and it is that age-old question at the moment, who is the best driver? When you've got seven world championships, it's hard to, to argue against it. And, of course, my point was that I believed... Um, that while Lewis is better in a in a in a in a good car by you know a smaller amount over say someone like Fernando Alonso or even Michael Schumacher, that what Alonso is able to do in a bad car uh, that gap is greater to what Lewis could achieve. Anyway, so what I'm going to do and and I always said from the start of this podcast that I wanted to talk to F1 people and, and give them a voice and uh, Wayne and I think uh, the email handle for uh, sorry the um, uh, Twitter handle is uh, at Chef One Wayner on Twitter. Um, Wayne, you're. I mean, we connected because you had a, a decent argument as to why um, Lewis was, in your opinion, um, a better driver. And of course, we also were talking about the whole: how do you beat Lewis? Because Nico Rosberg was able to do it in 2016. Um, but it's hard to deny how good a driver Lewis Hamilton is, even though he's probably had the best equipment. Yeah, well, I think. Um... Obviously, when Lewis came into the sport in 2007, he came into a car. Every Everybody comes out and says, well, he came into a race-winning car. But they forget that McLaren hadn't actually won a race in 2006. So it wasn't a race-winning car. It was a completely new driver lineup. He was up against the double world champion, reigning double world champion. Um, and, you know, I think it's well documented how McLaren performed that year. They won a lot of races. They came very close to the uh, the driver's championship. Um, but then I think the first bad car that Lewis encountered was 2009. Um, coming off the back of a world championship, everybody says your second album's harder. <laughs> uh, and you you saw that in a very, very bad car, I think he got the best out of it. Him and Kovalainen, um, I think you see Kovalainen probably qualifying in the bottom four for the most of the season. Um, and then for the second half of the season, once McLaren got their act together, it was it was much better, you know, finished with two race wins. Um, and then I think it came to two, 2011, you know, I think was the first time that McLaren produced a car that was worthy of race wins, but not great. Um, and he managed to get a few wins. But then, the, you know, the, I think that was his first year where we saw his mentality struggle a little bit. Um, I know he had some issues off the track and he was starting to become the big star. 
And I think he was struggling with how to sort of combine being a race driver, being a superstar, um, and also trying to win races. Um, and he, he, he struggled in 2011 up against Button. I think Button figured out how to drive against him in 2010 and then used that against him. And then that takes you to 2016, where Rosberg figured him out as well. Um, but do you think it was two different approaches? Because, you know, Jensen, I don't think, ever sort of um, took the, the same approach to, to it as Nico Rosberg. Rosberg, you know, became quite, it seemed to be quite cold between him, you know, the hat throwing. Um, you know, it, there was sort of no longer this jokey pally relationship that they had. But there was still the jokey pally relationship between Jensen and Lewis. But Jensen, I think, did it in a different way. He almost used what Lewis now uses as a yeah. as a way of getting into the mind of sort of being so friendly and so like, yep, you know, you beat me and not you know what I mean? And being so friendly that you don't I suppose the the the, the, the driver feels that they don't want to do the wrong thing by that person who's being so nice to them. Exactly. Um and I think Jensen were Jensen was a little bit older than Lewis mm. as well. And that's the that's the other thing that you need to take into account is that um Lewis and Nico are quite similar in age. They grew up together as well. So there's always going to be that tension. They carted together. They were in a junior formula together. Nico got into F1 before Lewis. Um, so there's always going to be that little bit of needle. And then Lewis came into Nico's team, you know. And, and then I think in Malaysia, 20, 2013, the second race, where Nico was told not to challenge Lewis for the podium place, I think that, you know, that was the start of everything to come culminated in 2015 with the hat throwing at USA mm. um, when when Lewis obviously clinched the world title when that mysterious gust of wind took uh, <laughs> Nico track um, but I, you know what Nico had to do is he had to get under Lewis's skin um, I don't know how it transpired that the garages changed sides uh, for 2016 I know that they swapped teams completely basically you know the mechanics everything like that on the sides of the garage. Um, and I think there's a, there is a little quote from Lewis from 2016 where you'll read it in the book. Um, and I can't wait for that book to come out because if that's as honest and upfront um, as Lewis is liking to be now, then I think you'll find that, you know, Nico really got under his skin. And it's, you know, it's well known about the marginal gains that Rosberg came up with, removing the seaming from his gloves so that he got a better feel on the clutch not training on his bike so much so that he could lose 1% of muscle mass in his legs so he could save some weight. Um, and then I think he just, he got mean, Yeah, you know, but from that, I think what the, the Lewis Hamilton that we have now is almost unbeatable because of the 2016 season. I think he took a step back. He completely reevaluated everything. You know, everybody knows about the chat with Toto in the kitchen um, and I think what Nico has inadvertently done is he's created this monster now that <laughs> is to be the, uh, to coin an American term, the most winningest driver of all time. Um, like you said, title number seven is nailed on. Um, and with the regs staying the same for next year, yeah, I mean, unless cars. the only person, the only person that can beat Lewis Hamilton next year is Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. If he starts overthinking things, but Looking at the way he drives, he's a completely different driver now. You look at him in front and you just see him drive off. Whereas if you've got Valtteri in front of him, Lewis is harrying every single lap. Um, and he, you just, it, he's, he's a monster. Uh, and you can't, you can't, I can't, I can't see anybody on the current grid 
beating him with these current regulations. And the thing is that also, um, I mean, I, I look at, say, 2000, and, and I know this is going to cause um, uh, people to be not happy with what I say, but see, for mm-hmm. me, 2014 and 2015 were easy championships for him because he was really just racing Nico. And, and you know, it was, it, was a, it was a car that was eight, nine tenths of a second faster now. That's not Lewis's fault. He put himself in no. the right place at the right time. Get it. But, you know, 2008, I think, and if not, I'm thinking it was 2017, certainly 2018, you know, he, he got under the skin of Sebastian Vettel. You know, and yes. I certainly wouldn't, even though Vettel's got four world championships. When Lewis had four world championships, I wouldn't have put them in the same in the same group, you know what I mean? Lewis is better than, yeah. than what Vettel is. But the same sort of thing has happened with Vettel. Is that he was in the best car. It was an unassailable car almost. The only person who really got close was Alonso in 12. I mean, actually, if, if, if in 2011, Mark Webber hadn't done what he'd done at uh, the Korean Grand Prix that year, yeah. he could well have taken it as well. But overall, Lewis is a much better driver than what Vettel is. But his first, you know, two of those championships for mine were in such a dominant car that yeah. he was just yeah. driving against one other driver on that circuit. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, and and like you said, you know, it's not his fault. Mm. Um, he was sold, he was sold an idea by uh, Nicky Lauda. He came on board to Mercedes, um, and then they had a season of, you know, 2013. I think after the summer break in 2013, when Vettel won his nine races in a row, I think every other team just sat back and thought we'll concentrate on next year. Mm. Um, and I, th- I think Mercedes knew what they had in the bank. And then to turn up 2014 Melbourne qualifying almost two seconds quicker than everybody else. Um, You know, he is just racing against his teammate. Um, But like you said, you know, 2017, I think what what turned in 2017 was Baku when um, the whole sort of hoo-ha of brake testing and wheel banging and sort of calling calling Sebastian out and saying, well, if he's man enough, you know, come and see me off the track. Um, That was obviously a peak in their relationship. Because since then, they've gotten on like brothers. You know, they're like best friends. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the mutual respect. Because once that got to that point, like he's, you know, going back to your point about Jensen, it's almost beating them with friendliness. Yeah. <laughs> um, and not not that it's, you know, Sebastian was, af- you know, afraid to beat Lewis. You know, he gave it everything he could. And there were there were things that went against him. You know, obviously, Singapore 17 at the start. And then that was the start of the three races where they... They had the crash at the start, and then he had uh, an engine failure in Malaysia, I think it was, and then Japan. They had another engine issue, and then that just wiped him out for the season. Um, and then seventeen, I think the I think the Ferrari was the better car in in eighteen. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, that was uh, for me. I think eighteen was probably Lewis's most impressive championship. Yeah, uh, because, he, because he got to the mental disintegration, which, you know, to use a, a, a Steve Walks, I'm Australian, um, uh, phrase from cricket, is that it was that yeah. mental disintegration and it started at the German Grand Prix of that year when yeah. Yeah. Vettel went off. The, and, of course, that was the fragility from that point on, in his mind, I think, with Vettel. And then Lewis just banged away. And, of course, it showed with all the problems that Vettel then had clashing with Verstappen, clashing with Lewis, lap one in Monza yeah. that year. Like... Give it a break. You've got a faster car. Just show some patience and you'll get past him. Well, I mean, it's I think Germany, like you said, was the catalyst because Sebastian slid off from the lead in quite an easy lead. You know, the track was slippery. There's no doubt about it. But he slid off from the lead and then he watched Lewis win from 14th. Yeah. And at that point, you just think to yourself, how I've given it everything. And how can I beat this guy? Um, And obviously that's from a different team. But then it does, it, it just, 
destroyed him because like you said you know you've got the clashes with Verstappen and then turning around lap one Italy and then however many number of spins since then and I know a lot of people say that the the Red Bull was obviously very uh, reliant on rear downforce so that Sebastian just used to be able to plant his foot and the, the Red Bull will do whatever he wants but Sebastian has been driving Ferrari now for longer than he drove Red Bulls yeah and I think a lot of people are starting to forget that that even though he is a legend um he's been driving for ferrari a long time so that he should have adjusted his driving style by now and not just have to rely on rear downforce but you know he's, he's a multiple race winner and multiple world champion and I, i'm not so <laughs> <laughs> um so it, so you're a a lewis fan obviously and but you're also yep. a mclaren fan as well aren't you yeah huge mclaren fan yeah um, so when it comes to who do you want to see win, are you are you on Lewis's side or are you looking at uh, Lando and, and Carlos and hoping, or maybe Lando more so now because Carlos is well, off to Ferrari? I think, obviously, uh, McLaren don't have a race winning car at the moment. So, you know, I'm more than happy to see Lewis win. Um, in Italy, don't get me wrong, I was screaming at the TV for the last five laps for Carlos <laughs> to get past uh, Pierre Gasly. Um, because all right, even, even though Carlos is leaving and even though he's only going to have actually driven for McLaren for two seasons, he's, he's really endeared himself to the mm. McLaren team and the fans and, and, you know, the papaya family. Um, and I wish him well in Ferrari. I mean, good luck moving to that team with that car. Um, but when it, you know, 2022, I think all bets are off. Yep. Um, I do see Lando as a future race winner. Um, maybe not as a world champion, um, but then he is only 20. So, you, I mean, you, it's really difficult to say. But if it came down to a straight fight in equal cars um, with Lewis against either McLaren driver, I would rather a McLaren driver win. All right. Well, that's, uh, I mean, you, you, you obviously know I'm, I'm, I sort of uh, am involved with McLaren, so I'm liking uh, yeah. what, what you're saying there, mate. Uh, but anyway, look, Wayne, we will uh, have to do this another time as well. Um, I'm sure there's going to be other opportunities where we can uh, sit down and, and have a chat. Um, but, uh, mate, thank you very much for uh, sparing some time with me this morning. And uh, we'll uh, catch up with you again and hope you enjoy uh, this weekend's race, of course, Eiffel Grand Prix. Just one question remains to be asked, I suppose, and that is, will Lewis Hamilton equal the great Michael Schumacher's race wins record this weekend? We're going to have to wait and find out. It'd be appropriate, considering that Michael raced here many times. It was a home Grand Prix for him, and a section of the circuit is actually named after him, the Schumacher S's. So I think it'd be great if it did. One record we do know that's going to fall, though, is Rubens Barrichello's uh, most races, and that is going to be broken by Kimi Raikkonen uh, driving in the Alpha. Um, apart from that, it's going to be a really interesting weekend, particularly because of the inclement weather. Uh, we're on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a, a subscribe, a like, some stars and a review as well. And hope you enjoy the weekend. And of course, look forward to your company again next week when we do it again. 